in 2 Samuel chapter 9. We've been going through uh, 2 Samuel for the last few weeks, but uh, of course, uh, we've already been through 1 Samuel a few uh, months ago. Um, really, the same book, but in two parts in our, in our Bibles. It's been a long road, but David is finally king, uh, sitting on the throne. And last time we were uh, in this book, we saw God uh, graciously and kindly promise uh, that David wouldn't uh, have his family on the throne for uh, just a few years, but that his dynasty would be everlasting, that his kingdom would last forever. Um, Chapter 8 followed that up with God making good on his promise, or starting to at least, with David conquering the enemies of Israel. Well, the enemies have been conquered, the kingdom's been established, and David is sat on the throne. What will he do next? Let's find out in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul? that I may show the kindness of God to him. Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, 
for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Well, let's pray and ask for God's help. Uh, Ask for God to make his word clear to us, to make himself clear to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the wonderful things that it tells us about you. God, please help me uh, to speak clearly now. Oh God, please speak to all of us. Please help us to respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the day that Mephibosheth had been dreading finally arrived. Uh, For years, every knock on the door had brought him out in a cold sweat, terrified that he'd been finally found out. Up to now, that had been quickly uh, followed by a rush of relief as the the door swung open to a, a friend or someone just making a delivery. But today, today was different. Today, there was no feeling of relief, just more dread as the door opened to a troop of the king's men. Of course, there was no way that he could escape from them. And he knew his fate was now to stand before his family's greatest enemy, King David. On the way to David's courts, perhaps he reflected on how different his life could have been. In fact, how it, how it should have been. Born into the royal family, the grandson of King Saul, the son of the crown prince, Jonathan, he was on course to enjoy a life of great privilege, perhaps even one day to sit on the throne of Israel himself. But that promising future was snatched away like that, when a messenger arrived to announce the death of his grandfather, the king, and of his dad. Both his grandfather and his dad had been killed in battle. And he could still remember the wails of grief turning into shouts of panic as people began to to flee from his family's enemies. He could still feel the burst of pain in his feet when his nurse dropped him in her hurry, leaving him permanently unable to walk. Well, what a tragic day that was. What tragic years there'd been since. At one point, it seemed like his uncle might just win back the throne, but it soon became clear that David's rise was utterly unstoppable. The enemy had won, and Mephibosheth's only hope as the heir of Saul's line was to hide and hope that he'd be forgotten so that David wouldn't hunt him down to put an end to his rival's line forever. But even that desperate plan had failed. And so here he was, utterly at the mercy of his family's most dangerous enemy. And as he threw himself down before the king, well, he knew what was to come next. Or did he? You'll have to forgive the the slight embellishment, uh, but I hope that potted history of Mephibosheth's background sets the, the scene a little bit for what God wants to show us in this passage of his word. And 2 Samuel chapter 9 is really a story all about kindness, uh, but not just every day I'll pay for the coffees kind of kindness, although that is kindness, isn't it? And it's very welcome. Um, this is shockingly unexpected, overwhelmingly generous kindness given to one uh, who can never 
pay it back. Now, this is a wonderfully heartwarming story in and of itself, but it's even better than just a heartwarming story. It speaks to us of God's incredible kindness, which is kindness that we can enjoy ourselves. And let's pick up the story in verse one, seeing it from David's perspective, which is of course the perspective which scripture gives us. And verse one straight away uh, tells us just how kind David is. David's first order of business in his uh, settled kingdom is to seek out the descendants of the previous king, Saul, but not to destroy them, to show them kindness. David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? And notice the reason for David's desire to show kindness. It's for Jonathan's sake. Uh, Jonathan was the son of King Saul. Uh, he was also a faithful and dearly loved friend of David. If you think back uh, a few months to our time in 1 Samuel, you might remember that Jonathan was one of the first people to recognize that God had appointed David to be king. And he happily accepted David as God's choice, even though it would mean missing out on the throne himself. And before David fled from Saul's courts, Jonathan and David made promises to one another. Uh, in biblical language, they made a covenant together. Here's one of the promises that Jonathan asked David to make. He said, do not cut off your steadfast love, which can also be translated as kindness. It's the same word we see throughout this passage. Do not cut off your steadfast love, your kindness, from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So David's determination to, to show kindness to Saul and Jonathan's line, their, their house, if you like, um, it isn't a, a spur-of-the-moment um, expression of charity. It isn't a random act of kindness. It's a dogged determination to fulfill a promise made ages ago. Now, a former servant of Saul's is called to David, and the question is posed to him. Is there anyone left of Saul's line? Ah, says Ziba. I know just the person you're looking for, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. And boy, is Mephibosheth in need of some kindness. We've already thought about the great reversal of fortunes in his life, but the biblical narrator leaves us no, in no doubt as to how desperate a condition Mephibosheth is in. Uh, we're reminded that Mephibosheth is unable to walk. Uh, we were told about that um, in 2 Samuel chapter 4. Uh, an even more difficult condition to live with uh, back then in the ancient world than it is today. Uh, more than that, he's been forced uh, out of his family's lands, forced to rely on the kindness of a benefactor living, verse 4 tells us, in the house of Machir, son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Uh, what does that mean? Lodabar is literally translated as nothing. He is nowhere, we might say. Mephibosheth may be an unlikely candidate for David's kindness, the last in the line of, his, uh, of the former king, but he's definitely in desperate need of it. So David sends for this, this last remnant of Saul's line to be brought 
out of his obscure hiding place. And as we join back up with Mephibosheth, where we left him in our little introduction, uh, bowing before the king who holds his life in his hands, uh, maybe sweat forming on his brow, imagine the tidal wave of astonishment and relief that must have flooded through him as he heard these words from the king. Not words of judgment and death, but words of kindness. Look at verse seven. David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Well, those words take Mephibosheth's breath away. What mercy, what generosity, what honor, what kindness. But they aren't just words, because as the the story moves on in verse 9, David gets to work in ensuring uh, these promises come to fruition, uh, that all that he said will happen. He calls in the the servant Ziba and decrees that all of Saul's lands, uh, the lands of uh, Saul's family, his estate, they now belong to Mephibosheth. And Ziba and the 35 members of his household were now to serve Mephibosheth by working the land for him. With land to call his own and servants to work it, he'll never have to rely on the charity of a benefactor again. It's another dramatic reversal of fortunes. His life is a real seesaw, uh, Mephibosheth, but the best is yet to come. Because David's kindness isn't just expressed in, in giving Mephibosheth a load of stuff, but in welcoming Mephibosheth to his table. Uh, We're told four times between verses seven and 13 that from that point on, Mephibosheth was welcomed in to eat at David's table, Uh, not just on high days and holidays, not just when David was feeling particularly generous or when he had a, a gap in the calendar. Mephibosheth had an open invite whenever he wanted to be there. Verse 11, I think, puts the cherry on the cake. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Because of David's kindness, Mephibosheth is now part of the family, the royal family. And look at verse 13 as the curtain closes uh, on this passage. We're told that Mephibosheth is no longer hiding away in some nothing town hoping to be forgotten. Mephibosheth lives in Jerusalem, the capital city, the city of David. No longer living in fear of death by David's hand, every day he experiences the king's kindness afresh as he eats at his table. And that last reference to Mephibosheth's disability that we we finish on reminds us how desperately he needed this kindness. Well, as I say, it's a a heartwarming story. It's great news for Mephibosheth. But what about us? Wouldn't you like to experience some of this kindness? I know I would. But David, he's long gone, isn't he? We're not going to experience any of his kindness. Of course, this isn't just a story about David's kindness, is it? It's a story really about God's kindness. 
So there are two things to understand from this passage uh, that we can learn about God's kindness. Firstly, God's kindness comes through God's king. God's kindness comes through God's king. Uh, Throughout our series in Samuel, we've found it really helpful uh, to keep going back to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. In fact, you might be um, a bit bored of hearing about it, but we keep coming back to it because it's just so important for understanding uh, what we're to make of some of these stories in 1 and 2 Samuel. Um, Hannah's prayer in uh, 1 Samuel 2 is a little bit like a lighthouse. Uh, If we know where we're supposed to land, uh, it's going to tell us. Uh, In that prayer, Hannah beautifully describes the character of God, how he's responsible for uh, lifting up the humble and knocking the proud off their perch. Uh, Listen to what she says uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7. She says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. (coughs) He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. Listen to this. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Well, isn't that just what David has done to Mephibosheth? Lifted him out of obscurity, given him a seat, made him like one of the king's sons. I think this passage is telling us more than just that David has become kind like God. I think the link between God's kindness and his king's kindness is even stronger than that. Uh, Look at verse three. David said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Have you ever stared at one of those uh, optical illusions, which is um, two pictures in one? Um, You look at it from one angle and, oh, it's a duck. You sort of squint and turn your head and suddenly you can see, uh, no, it's a bunny rabbit. Is it a duck? Is it a bunny rabbit? Well, it's both. It's two in one in the same picture. I think David's kindness and God's kindness are a little bit like that in this passage. They're, They're distinct from one another, but it's very hard to tell where one starts and the other stops. David's kindness is God's kindness. Because God's kindness comes through God's king. All the way through this series, uh, this book has been showing us time and time again the kind of leader that God's people need. And we've seen our fair share of our need for a faithful king. Uh, we've seen our need of a humble king. We've seen our need of a king, a leader of God's choosing, not ours. Uh, now we can add to that list we need a kind king, the kind of king who will show us God's kindness. And hallelujah, in the Lord Jesus, God has provided us with a king more bursting with kindness than we could ever hope to imagine. He's shown us his kindness in abundance by saving us. Did you hear those words that we read at the start of our service in Titus chapter three, the apostle Paul says, 
But when the goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. I was reading this week about a family in Scotland who ran up at 17,000 pounds worth of energy bills, um, not because of running uh, the PlayStation all night, but because their daughter uh, needs a permanent uh, defibrillator and oxygen supply running that draws on all the electricity. 17,000 pounds of debt uh, for an ordinary family. Well, it's a tragic situation. Uh, it was a tragic situation until the actress Kate Winslet heard about their story and paid the entire debt off themse- uh, herself. And now, you'd have to be pretty hard-hearted and cynical not to see kindness in what Kate Winslet had done there. But when we think of what the Lord Jesus has done for his people, uh, even that just pales in comparison. The kindness Jesus shows us didn't cost him uh, a few thousand pounds, It cost him his life. And he wasn't showing kindness to to strangers, as lovely as that is. He was showing kindness to those who had made themselves his enemies. God's kindness is shown through God's king. And God's kindness is shown most clearly as God's king hung and died on a cross to save his undeserving people. That's the king we need. That's the kindness that we need. But this story helps us to understand uh, something more. Uh, It helps us to understand what our response should be to this wonderfully kind king. If we want to, to receive this kindness, what do we need to do? Secondly, God's kindness comes to those who bow to God's king. If there's one word that sums up Mephibosheth in this story, I think it's humble. Uh, We read um, twice that he paid homage to David. Uh, That's that he accepted uh, David's kingship, uh, that he accepted David's authority. Uh, It's um, an acceptance that David deserves to be on the throne. Look at verse 8. He paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Uh, Emma and I were visiting family in Bristol this weekend. We drove back from uh, Bristol this afternoon, so I'm very glad I made it back in time. Um, But on our way down the M4, we uh, drove past uh, not any dead dogs, but let me tell you, plenty of dead foxes. Um, They weren't pleasant to look at, and if I hadn't been preparing this sermon, I wouldn't have even registered them. Um, A dead fox on the side of the road, it's not very significant, is it? Certainly isn't very pleasant. In fact, it's hard to think of um, many things less significant or pleasant than a fox that's been in a fight with a four by four and come out on the wrong side. But that's how Mephibosheth understands himself in relation to David. He's not being dramatic here. He understands that he's not the least bit deserving of David's kindness. And if we're to enjoy God's kindness through Christ, we must recognize the truth about ourselves. The truth is, we're utterly undeserving 
of Jesus' kindness to us. We've done nothing to earn or deserve it. And the second half of that verse from Titus says, but when the goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. We didn't earn his his kindness, his salvation. It's according to his own mercy. Mephibosheth understands who he is. He understands who David is. Twice we're told that he pays homage, bows down to David. Twice he refers to himself as David's servant. He's understood himself rightly. He's understood David rightly. He's humbled himself and bowed to God's king. Uh, It wasn't a false humility, uh, that humility that says, oh no, I, I couldn't possibly eat at your table. Just let me live that would be enough for me. I'm, I'm really all right on my own. This was true humility. Knowing his great need, humbly submitting himself to David's lordship and embracing the king's kindness with both hands. And look what happened to him. He got to enjoy all the delights of David's table all the days of his life. And if you want to enjoy all the riches of God's kindness. If you want to be welcomed in to God's family and given a seat at his table, all you have to do is humble yourself and bow to King Jesus. You can never earn it, but the good news is you don't have to because God's kindness comes to those who bow to God's King. Well, Jesus' kindness is beyond question. But there's a question for all of us. How are you responding to the kindness of God's king? If you're not yet bowing to Jesus, if you're not yet following him as your king, I would love for you to just notice how kind Jesus is. Perhaps we don't talk about that enough. Perhaps we don't put it like that enough. He died to save his enemies. He invites those who have rejected him to come and find a seat at his table. You'll never find anyone kinder than the Lord Jesus. And through him, you can experience greater kindness than you can ever imagine. That's why, um, if you're here, maybe a, a friend or your parents have brought you along tonight, That's why we're so keen to tell as many people as possible about the Lord Jesus. It's not because we want to ruin your life or spoil your fun. It's because if you come to know Jesus, you will experience all of God's kindness forever. And it's the only way to experience all of God's kindness forever is through Jesus. Would you like to know that kindness for yourself? Follow Jesus as your king and you'll never be cut off from God's overwhelming kindness. You'll never be turned away from a seat at his table. And this story has so much to say to those of us who are following Jesus as our king already. I think it's particularly helpful, uh, a story to remember when we feel totally undeserving of God's love and kindness. Do you ever have those thoughts? 
why would God want anything to do with you? You're nothing. You're not worthy of an ounce of his kindness. Or maybe others will enjoy God's kindness, but not you. When we have those thoughts or thoughts like them, they can drive us far away from God. They can make us feel totally unworthy of coming into his presence. When we have thoughts like those, we can remember Mephibosheth. Was he worthy of David's kindness? Did he do anything to earn David's kindness? Well, he didn't think so. He was the last person who you would ever expect to receive David's kindness. And where did he end up? Feasting at David's table every day like one of the king's sons. So Christian, let his story give you confidence. Not confidence in yourself, but confidence in the kindness of your king, the kindness of King Jesus. Confidence in the one who asks us not to earn a place at his table, but simply, simply to humble ourselves and bow before him, accepting and enjoying all the good that he has to show us forever. Christians are the most blessed people in the world. Our world is desperate for kindness. And the Lord Jesus is pouring out his kindness on us in abundance every day forever. Isn't that good news? Well, there are two ways we're going to respond to God's kindness now. Firstly, on our own, um, just a space to call out to God in your heart and pray to thank him for the kindness he's shown you. Uh, let's do that for a few moments together. Father, we thank you for your wonderful kindness to us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his death to save us. Thank you for a place around your table through him. Amen. Uh, we're also going to uh, celebrate God's kindness together as we sing, uh, Jesus, thank you. Simple words, but just the right response to what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Let's stand and sing, Jesus, thank you.